Hi, my name is Kay. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 37, 1 through 7. Don't get upset over evil doers. doers. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong, because they will fade fast like grass. They will wither like green vegetables. Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy the Lord, and he will give what your heart asks. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. He will act and will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice high like high noon. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. Don't get upset when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. The word of the Lord. The New Testament is in James 1, 19 through 21. Know this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. This is because an angry person doesn't produce God's righteousness. Therefore, with humility, set aside all moral filth and the growth of wickedness, and welcome the word planted deep inside you, the very word that is able to save you. The word of the Lord. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Jesus told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in his field. While people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. When the stalk sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. The servants of the landowner came and said to him, Master, didn't you plant good seed in your field? Then how is it that it has weeds? An enemy has done this, he answered. The servant said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them? But the landowner said, No, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the weed along with them. Let both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, first gather the weeds and then together and tie them together in bundles to be burned. But bring the weed into my barn. The Gospel of the Lord. Can you remain standing with me while we pray? Thank you, Kay. Father, open our hearts to hear your word, to receive it, to understand it. Make us soft so that when we go from here, the word that is planted deep within us will flourish and be a blessing to many. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, well, we're doing it. Let's do it. <laughs> we have been going through the Proverbs, learning how to become wise people. But today we're talking about what do we do with the fools and the wicked people among us? Uh, when I spoke last time, it was back in, in 2019, and I was preaching on spiritual friendship. This is the complete opposite. Now we're talking about the people who distress us the most. So I think next time I'll just do something in the middle, maybe like some gospel lessons on casual acquaintances. (laughs) 
I did a little bit of research uh, for this sermon besides reading through the Proverbs multiple times. I knew that I needed to go to my favorite show, Frasier, and watch some reruns. Thank you, Karen Readall. Yes, Frasier fans. Because the whys and the fools are not so obvious in that show. You really have to watch the whole thing to figure it out. So a little, um, a little push there. And also, I reflected on my own life experiences. When I think about... Uh, fools or foolishness, people I have have distressed me along the path of life. I think of my first dating relationship. I mean, right away. (laughs) That's the first thing I think of. Um, I was a freshman, and he was a senior. He was uh, popular in the youth group, a varsity soccer player. I had followed him around with my little Kodak camera for a few months, and he finally turned around and saw me and paid attention to me. So what could go wrong? <laughs> well, my parents were less than thrilled. Uh, and as, as the relationship progressed, I noticed that we argued a lot. He liked to argue about things like whether aliens were real. Uh, and sometimes he, he would lie to me. Sometimes he would do things that were really sneaky. And I often found myself, I mean, I was a smitten kitten, let me tell you. So I justified all these things in my mind. But along the way, I noticed that I was just often left feeling kind of confused, uh, sometimes really upset or sad. And, you know, in my rearview mirror, when I look back on that relationship, everything kind of fits into a spectrum that's either over here maybe kind of weird, a little off, all the way over to deeply scarring. So was I the fool or was he? Am I allowed to call him a wicked person because I didn't like the way he treated me? Because he broke up with me after asking me to prom and I got my dress? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's wrong. That's wrong. Maybe you have people in your life who leave you feeling the same way. Kind of confused. Maybe ashamed. A lot of sadness or just maybe simply frustrated or distressed. And while we really should not take delight in diagnosing people as foolish or wicked, the Proverbs sure seem to. So today, I would like to go to the Proverbs, and let's do two things. First, let's look at some distinguishing characteristics of fools and wicked people. And then after we do that, I would love to lay out a plan for us um, and each step of that plan in and of itself is, is just a helpful action step. But taken together, I want to look at them as a way of keeping ourselves wise as we live among distressing people. Okay? All right. So let's get started. Signs of a fool or a wicked person. All right? When we look at the whole Old Testament, we see the word fool in English a lot, but actually that is a translation of over five Hebrew words that all have different, you know, subtle differences, and their distinctions are important because they seem to uh, have a spectrum from, like, just simple foolishness all the way to wickedness. But the summary of foolishness in the Proverbs is this. Fools don't listen, 
They don't want to learn. They run their mouths. They get into trouble and they bring trouble to others. So let's start at, the, at one end of the spectrum. So maybe at best, a fool is just a simple person. They're, they're easily swayed, maybe they're lacking discernment, and they, just, they don't take life seriously enough to do the work of judging wisely or, or recognizing temptation or evil when it comes. Look at Proverbs 22.3. Prudent people see trouble and hide. The simple-minded go right to it and get punished. All right, well, next, a fool maybe could just be a, a, what the Hebrew calls a silly person. They're, they're mouthy, they're loud, they're often perverse in their language, and if you try to correct them, they will be quick to start a fight with you. Proverbs 18.2, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing their own opinion. Proverbs 23, it's honorable to refrain from strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. And then there's also mention of what's called a sensual fool. This person's a little more dangerous because they influence other people. They are determined to seek their own pleasure, even if it means that whatever they're chasing after, they actually should be ashamed of. Proverbs 26, 11. You've probably heard this one. Like a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats foolish mistakes. Now, I have a dog, and I have seen this play out, and it is weird. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 don't do that. And they just, oh, they did it. They just went right for it. So I'm trying to picture in my mind the, the wise sage, whether they had a pet or they had seen, they're like, this is the best metaphor for a fool right here, a dog returning to its vomit. Uh, Proverbs 12:15. Fools see their own way as right, but the wise listen to advice. So, the fools that we have outlined so far, they're, they're self-centered, they're reactive, and they, they bring frustration to those close to him. But I would qualify those fools as just, they're uninterested in wisdom, but then there are those who take foolishness to a whole new level. They're not only uninterested in wisdom, they are set against it. They have not stumbled into their path. They've chosen it. And they are characterized by the sages as wicked people. They are mean. They're full of wrath. They're very purposeful in their schemes to bring others with them, and they're really immovable. They're scornful. You can see in their attitude, in uh, the speech that they use, but also in their facial expressions that there is, there is a disdain and a contempt for what is good and what is right. They've become their own God. This is from the Psalms, Psalm 14.1. Fools say in their hearts, there's no God, they are corrupt. They do evil things. Not one of them does any good. Proverbs 27, 22. This is a painful one. Even if you were to grind fools into mortar, grinding them like a miller along with the grain, their folly won't be driven from them. 
If you are in relationship or have been in relationship with people in these categories, you know the burden that they bring to life. Solomon in Proverbs 27.3 says, A stone is heavy and a sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. I ran across a, uh, a 17th, 17th century sermon by the poet and philosopher John Donne, and I, w- I want to read a quote to you. It's, it's archaic in its context and its language, but I think you get at where he's going. He talks first about the heaviness of life, that like a grindstone or like being buried under a sand hill, that even just the regular stuff of life is hard enough. But then you add to that life with a fool. Here's what he says. But then Solomon says there, a fool's anger is heavier than all that, than both. And how many children and servants and wives suffer under the anger, the morosity, the peevishness, and the jealousy of foolish masters and parents and husbands or wives, though they must not say so. And God knows all is weight and burden and heaviness and oppression. And if there were not a weight of future glory to counterpoise it, We should all sink into nothing. I appreciate his compassion. There is a burden in our lives, whether or not you personally have experienced the anger of a fool or wicked person. It is present in every culture and every nation, and God sees. So what do the sages of Proverbs suggest that we do in response? Well, if you take every comment that the sages have on dealing with a fool or wicked person, it basically boils down to this one thing. If you are wise, you gotta separate yourself. If you are dealing with a wicked person, head for the hills, get out of there, run, peace out. If you're dealing with a foolish person, limit your interactions with them. Well, that is easy for the Proverbs to say. But what if this is someone that you work for who pays your paycheck? What if this is a family member that you are going to run into on numerous occasions? or have to deal with? What if this is a friend of a friend who shows up at your social gatherings? What if this is someone you care about? Yes, there are times when it's right to, say, to look someone in the eye and say, you have chosen your way and I'm out. I cannot be associated with this. But probably 
the people who bring us distress in our lives are most likely going to be falling under the category of simply a fool. So what do we do if we're supposed to limit our interactions and yet possibly invest in a relationship at the same time? Okay, so let's lay out a plan for this. And again, anyone on, any of these on their own are helpful, but taken together, I think they help us stay wise as we live among foolishness. All right, so first, I want to put forth to you the best thing to do is to grieve the losses that, and destruction that fools and wicked people bring. I mean this corporately and personally. As a church, especially during the season of Lent, but really always, we pray for the destruction that's happening in our world through ridiculous and foolish and harmful decisions that people have made that maybe even we still live out today. It's a good work of telling the truth of our stories. But then on a personal level, um, those of you who have taken the e- e- uh, EH, Emotionally Healthy Courses, already know this, that um, challenging emotions, when they are suppressed, they, they don't die, they just cover over pleasurable ones. Um, this is also according with brain research. When you are in a space when the things that someone is doing are distressing you, your brain is in a fight or flight mode, and you cannot get to the level of your brain function that makes rational and wise and calm decisions until you move through that space where your emotions are running high and you become conscious of them. So what do you do to process your anger and your sadness or your fear? If you are denying or suppressing these emotions or, or making excuses for the fool in your life, or if you're narcotizing yourself, or you're just redirecting those hard emotions toward others, you're not going to be able to make wise decisions about how to deal with the people around you and how to respond to them well. Something will always be about you about your hurt, about your needs, about your opinion on the way that this should go. So taking the time, doing the hard work of grieving your losses and the things in your life that have been hard because of distressing and foolish people in your life is a good work. Okay, number two. Gird your loins. They will not all start with G, but the first two do. <laughs> gird, I don't know. What does this mean? What does gird your loin mean? I'm like picturing these warriors, you know, running around. Uh, I define it here as developing moral fortitude. In my earlier days of parenting, when I had certain ones who were throwing tantrums, I would notice that oftentimes, at the end of the day, I was also throwing a tantrum, and I was responding to them like they were acting. I was stooping to the level of my hungry, angry, uh, obstinate child and becoming a fool myself. And, and this, this is natural. Sometimes we get worn down 
Or maybe besides stooping to the level of the fool in our life, maybe we've just sort of started kind of putting things under a rug, turning away. It's just too hard to really look at what's going on. But friends, the wise are called to oppose evil. And for this, we need courage. We need moral fortitude. So don't just take it on the chin. Shore up. If you are tired of the foolishness that you see around you, you be wise. If you are tired of the destruction that wicked people are bringing to this world, you be full of goodness. Amen? Amen. No no one's yelling about this? This is exciting. (laughs) We get a chance to have moral fortitude. And obviously this isn't learned in a day, but what I'm talking about is where we're spending our energy. Are we spending our energy licking our wounds and acting like, oh no, I don't know what to do? Or are we leaning into courageous, holy, good living? Are we full of the spirit of God who did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind so that we can be called children of wisdom? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, now... Let me pull back the reins, easy tiger, because we are dealing with fools and wicked people still. So, number three, be cunning and careful. There may not be a better story in the scriptures of this kind of cunning moral fortitude than the story of Abigail in 1 Samuel 25. I'm going to retell it really quickly if you don't know it, but please, I encourage you to go back and read it in multiple versions. It is hilarious. It's sad and hilarious. So um, Abigail was a lovely, intelligent woman, and she was married to someone named Nabal. Now, Nabal is the Hebrew word for the worst kind of fool, the steadfast fool, set against God, a wrathful, contemptuous person. And knowing the little that I know of that time period, I shudder to think of the way he treated her. So he's a rich man. He owns a lot of sheep. And he is out shearing his sheep at a time. And and when this happened, this was a huge celebration and there was a lot of feasting. Well, David, who had already been anointed king but was still on the run from Saul, he and hundreds of his men were hiding out in the wilderness. And these men helped kind of watch over some of Nabal's sheep. And at one point during the celebratory time, David had sent some men to Nabal to say, hey, we've kind of been out here with you and with your people in the wilderness. Can we celebrate you? Could, Could we, basically, could you be hospitable to us? And Nabal just would not. He yelled at them. He's like, how do I know who this guy is? I've heard about a lot of people running away from their masters. He's probably just a servant running away from the master. Why should I give my stuff to him? And... Uh, the servants go back and tell David this, and David's like, kill him. (laughs) Everybody put your swords on. (laughs) So they're coming after to get everybody. And a servant of Nabal's goes to Abigail, the wife, and tells her what happens. And is like, look, this guy's a good guy. He's helped us take care of these sheep in the wilderness, and your husband's about to get us all killed. And so she says, go meet David. I'm on my way. She gets into action. She takes all the things that Nabal should have given to David as a way of honoring David and then receiving honor for being a good host. She gathers all the food, all the provisions, and she goes out and she meets David and she says, um, humbly, I am so sorry 
My husband is a fool. I was not here when that happened, but please receive these. I honor you. Will you bring honor to us? And David goes, you just saved me from making a big mistake. Thank you. I was about to kill everybody. That's not the only wise thing that she did. She goes back to her home where her husband is getting very drunk. And she doesn't say anything. But the next day, when he's maybe sobered up, she tells him everything that happened. And he has a stroke. And he dies 10 days later. So there's a lot to this story. Abigail ends up marrying David. (laughs) Okay, that's right. So it's not that we can never correct someone or speak to someone about their foolishness, but please choose wisely what you say and when you say it. The Proverbs say that a fool is quick to anger, they are slow to listen, and they're really quick to speak. We heard in James earlier, you, James is the wisdom uh, book of the New Testament, you be slow to anger slow to speak, quick to listen. Thank you. (laughs) Quick to remember is not what I'm doing. All right. Even the sages of Proverbs recognize that sometimes a fool will be chastened by rebuke, but other times it's going to fall on deaf ears. So be careful with your words and your responses because it's, it's your heart that's on the line. All right, next, avoid vengefulness. God knows, friends, that something inside of us longs for justice. And the sages recognize that too, and so that's why they give us this warning in Proverbs 24, 17, and 18. When your enemies fall, don't rejoice. When they stumble, Don't let your heart be glad, or the Lord will see it and be displeased, and he will turn his anger from them. I don't know if you've noticed this too, but a few times in my life I have witnessed either on the news or in conversation, um, when a, a person dies and someone else has deemed them wicked or a fool. It seems like that person rejoices over this death, almost celebrates it. It's always really bothered me. And I ran across a quote by an Old Testament scholar, Ellen Davis, that helps me understand why this might be. She says this about not seeking vengeance for the foolish and the wicked in our lives. She says, it doesn't mean that you can't be glad when an evil scheme fails. It just means that you should not lose all compassion for the wicked. I must not, hear this, I must not allow the wickedness of another person to diminish my humanity. We must not allow the foolishness or the wickedness of another person to diminish our humanity. This longing for justice that we have is the character of God inside of us to make us wise. But seeking after vengeance, glorifying and bringing down someone who's evil and taking joy in it, that's connecting ourselves with evil itself. So avoid vengefulness. All right, number five, 
Stay safe in the community of the wise. You've probably heard this proverb before, 1320. Walk with wise people and become wise. Befriend fools and get into trouble. Back to my freshman year. (laughs) Seek out good friends. Make those who are virtuous your primary contacts. The people you spend the most amount of your time with. I'm not talking about people that you can just vent to or you go treat yourself with because you have been so much in the company of a fool that you need to get your nails done. I am talking about people who are chasing wisdom, who know how to grieve with you, who know how to help you develop moral fortitude, who will keep you from going into vengeful places. I want to stop here and say that I know that some of you are in really tough places. I can think of a few of you who, whether it's a parent or a child, someone you work with, a spouse, you are living daily with someone who is not choosing wisdom. And I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for keeping yourself in Christ's church, for showing us what it means to serve when you have not been served, to be kind when you have not received kindness, to choose courage and virtue when every day that is being resisted and pushed against. You are a light to us in this church. Thank you for being here. All right, finally, yes. Finally, with all these things, really the most important piece of this is when you have distressing relationships in your life, give them to Jesus. I do not mean this glibly. Jesus was a really good Jew, and he knew the Proverbs, and he knew what the sages said about when to speak and when not to speak. He knew that he really should be careful about who he spent the bulk of his time with. The thing about Jesus was he was able to come close close enough to discern rightly who is wise, who is foolish, and who is wicked. He waited for his foolish disciples to grow into maturity. He came close enough to know whose hearts were open to the Father and whose were set against him. He knew the intent of people's actions, and he knew when a rebuke would cut to the heart or when he needed to close his lips and stay silent. He had so much more patience with people than I think he should have. (laughs) And he encourages us to be patient with the Father and to let him decide when and how to ultimately deal with wickedness. He told a story once, and we just heard it in Matthew 13, about the wheat and the weeds. 
And how even the people in the fields were like, hey, we gotta, we gotta work on this. Like, we can't allow these weeds to be popping up everywhere. And that the um, sower said, no, just wait. And Jesus later explained this parable to his disciples who were like, what is going on? And he said, the righteous and the wicked are allowed to grow up together in this life. But in this story, when the field owner explicitly commands his workers not to pull up the weeds, he says, because you might pull up the wheat as well. He asks them to wait until harvest time when everything can be sorted out. Why? Why are we allowed in life to see righteousness and foolishness coexisting? Growing up together. It is so frustrating. And yet Jesus says, it's for you. It's for your good. I do not understand that. But I do know that we can trust him. We can probe his character by trusting him. I don't know why. We have to wait. But I wonder if God is willing to give time for the foolish to become wise. And as we come to the table now in our response, there are a couple ways that we can respond to this. One is to recognize the foolishness of our own hearts. Coming to this table every week, we confess the ways that we have been foolish. We ask for wisdom. And we receive God's forgiveness. Fools are welcome here, always. But maybe, maybe this Sunday, your response uh, is to acknowledge the hopelessness that you feel, either about the wickedness and foolishness that you see in certain parts of the world or in certain areas of your world or maybe just a specific person who is bringing you distress. And maybe as you come to the table, it would be, it would be good for you to trust Jesus with that person and even to imagine yourself, and this is, this is painful, but it's a thing to imagine yourself bringing that person to communion with you as a way of saying, Jesus, I can't be close to this person. It's hurting me. But you can come close. You know what they need to hear. You know whether or not their heart can be turned. And then as you do that, you're bringing yourself to Jesus and saying, I need you to be close to me. You know what I need to hear. You know the parts of my heart that need to be turned. What a surrender. If that isn't a way of grieving and receiving moral fortitude, I don't know where else we can find it. It's here in the suffering of Jesus and the foolishness of the cross.
He knows how hard this life is. And he wants to nurture us and infuse us with his wisdom so that we can live a dignified, wise, and loving life. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Jason's going to bring us to the table.